Hey, one more thing before you go. Just a quick warning. Today's episode is explicit. It is of a sexual nature, and there is some language that may not be appropriate for individuals under the age of 18 years old. Discretion is advised. How do you overcome an addiction? Better yet, how do you overcome an addiction to porn? Especially in today's society when it's geared towards selling sex. So in this episode, we're going to talk to a man who had an addiction to porn and masturbation. How it affected his life where he is today. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About an Addiction to Porn. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Roman Miranoff. He's a coach trained by the Tony Robbins program. He helps people live a happier lifestyle. He lives a minimalist one himself. He practices mindfulness and meditation to manage his mind, body, and his soul in a very positive way. He was able to overcome his addiction. We're going to help you figure out how to overcome yours. Welcome to the show, Roman. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for this wonderful introduction. I think it's the best one that I ever got. I'm happy about that. Thank you. I, where did you grow up? In fact, I grew up in Russia while in, in, in a city located pretty close to Moscow, and I lived in Russia for 36 years before I finally moved to Canada, and now I live in Toronto. I've been here for the last two years. That's an interesting transition from coming from Russia to Canada, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's a funny one because Russia is the, the first biggest country in the world and Canada is the second biggest country in the world. So that, that's, that, that was logical, you know, it made sense. So we, did you go to university? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I went to the university back in Russia. I studied for five years and I got my diploma as, as a translator. And I worked as a translator for 14 years before actually moving to Canada. Well, that's an interesting job. Did you work for the state or did you work for the government? No, I ran a small, small, let's say a boutique translation agency. And yeah, had a few people working for me as translators and editors. And I was, a, I was one myself. Is that mostly for tourists that are coming into, in, that were coming into Russia or? No, 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 no. My company actually specializes in, and they're still active. They specialize in pharmaceuticals. So they help, like right now, they help companies such as, you know, like the likes of Pfizer or AstraZeneca to translate materials about the vaccine for COVID. Oh, that's outstanding. Well done. Well done. So I understand you're divorced. I am. Yeah, I got divorced almost seven years ago. Yeah, it was was pretty painful. And that's actually one of the reasons I, I'm blessed now to be a coach. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, coming from life experience always makes us a better coach. Absolutely, absolutely. Because for one, it makes me more relatable to my clients because I know exactly how they feel when they go through this sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I know that like some of the things that they're trying to use to help themselves, I, I just know that they won't work. Like, oh, exactly. like, like someone sitting and grieving after divorce for a year, for, for days and even weeks and months, this is not going to help them. They need to get out of the state by taking action. Do you have a relationship now? Well, I'm sort of in transition between relationships. And for me now, because I, I actually want to create my second family with a Russian woman, for me, it's uh, an online thing. 
That's interesting. Yeah, Very just cool. relationship. Do you have kids? Yes, I have one kid from that first marriage. He is 11 and yeah, I love him and miss him so much. He's back in Russia. Well, let's talk about how your life has changed. Um, tell me about your addiction to porn. Most people understand addiction and they understand it from an alcoholic perspective or a drug abuse problem or something like that, but uh, addiction to porn is kind of unique. Or is it? It's not. It's not It's not for two reasons, because people, especially men, develop it quite early, just like I did. I, I, I developed it around 11 or 12 years. I don't remember exactly. And they just you just don't know about that because everyone is hiding this. And this is one of the biggest problems of, of this addiction is just, first of all, you're hiding it. And it actually, by doing that, you take a hit. Your self-esteem takes a huge hit. And the second thing, you because you have to hide it, you don't reach out for help. So it was difficult to overcome it. If you don't mind me asking, um, in addiction that at that young, 11 years old, how do how did you have access to the porn industry basically in Russia? At that point, well, I, I did have some access. Yeah, I had journals like magazines, but you know, at that point, the the addiction it, it was just in its beginning. I wouldn't say that it was like full blown addiction at that point. No, it was just beginning, and maybe I wasn't that conscious. The like for me, the worst period of my addiction was, I think, when. I was around 27 years old, as far as I remember. So th that was the very beginning. So it, yeah, because we all, I mean, speaking honestly here, we all, um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to steal my dad's Playboys. Right. You know, I, he'd hide them, I'd find them. <laughs> it's young it's young men, that's what you do, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm sure that's a, I'm sure, like you said, that's kind of a, a, a start or a basis. Uh, can you help us to understand how how something like that, maybe uh, Playboys or uh, Penthouse, I think, was uh, had been around, and, and uh, I think there were several other ones. I don't recall the other names, but those are the two primary ones that you know stick into my mind. How does it? How does something like that turn into an addiction? Well, that's pretty simple. Usually what happens is that you get into a some sort of a negative state that could be depression or anxiety. And for for kids, this is oftentimes anxiety. So their parents have expectations of what they should be. So they require too much. They expect too much from the kids. And the kids grow with this feeling that they're not loved or they're loved conditionally. And this causes a lot of anxiety. They're not sure about themselves. They have this fear of rejection all the time, the fear of failure. And they use masturbation porn. They start using it. Not just an activity that gets you raw pleasure. And it's just good in itself. And you can do it sometimes. But they start going to that addiction in order to cover up all that emotional congestion coming from the negative states, such as depression or anxiety. Well, I guess it's kind of similar to any other addiction. That's what people get into alcohol for, and that's what they get into drugs as well, and as well, 
you know, these kind of addictions, I think are, um, and I keep relating to both of those only because I'm more familiar with both of those addictions, uh, right. both from a, from my uh, personal perspective, as well as my professional perspective, those, those type of addictions, um, I guess society accepts them as more, accepts them more readily yeah. because of that. Do you think that there's a, um, um, when you, when you talked earlier about hiding it, do you think that it is common because of, is there shame? Is there guilt? Is there something related to that we should understand? Oh, absolutely. I think there is way more guilt and shame involved compared to drugs or alcohol. Well, at least alcohol. And that, that, that's because we believe that, like, just think about it. We don't go naked outside, right? And that's the same reason because we, we are wired as species to, to hide these things. So just like we hide our nakedness, we hide our porn. How did it affect you as a, a teenager growing up? Wow. I was so shy. You wouldn't believe it. I was extremely shy. I never had a girlfriend until I was 21. In my first year uh, at college, I I could not walk into a canteen because I was thinking that everyone was looking at me and I couldn't imagine how everyone would be looking at me eating. I just, I could not conceive that at all. Mm. And this this lack of confidence was a direct result of masturbation, you know, just because I, just because I masturbated, I felt self-disgust, I felt shame, I felt guilt, and it directly translated into low self-esteem. From a from your um, personal life perspective, then it obviously had a profound effect on that, you, even in your early years. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I saw a lot of my peers actually dating and getting all the experience that's, that's good for your future relationships because you want to understand the opposite sex and whatnot. But I never gained that. And the direct consequence of this was that I actually, I basically destroyed my marriage because I did not, I, I, I did get a girlfriend who later became my wife. That was good. I was blessed in a sense, but I still did not develop any good understanding of the relationship because I had actually missed the opportunity to you know, to get experience in those, let's say, five years from 16 to 21. So that's how I ruined it. During that time period, was the, the, the porn that you had access to, was it more through the magazines or was it evolved into any type of uh, audio, video? At that point, it was video. So I, I had access to a few tapes, you know, VHS tapes. And I remember VHS tapes. <laughs> Yes, and the internet was coming online at that point. So I started to, you know, I, I would go to our local post office and they had this like three or four computers with online access. So, and you paid them by the hour. So I would pay for one hour, insert my floppy into one of them, download like 12 to 14 porn images, save them to this floppy, go home. No one was there. And so I masturbated to it. And then I like deleted those images immediately because of self-disgust. So in regard to um, the accessibility, I know that like the porn industry is something, and I may be wrong in this number, but I think it's somewhere between 90 and $100 billion a year industry. It caters to, to the world, basically. And I know that the access to young kids from 
you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, even though they, they put, um, you know, stipulations, oh, you have to agree that you're 18 years old. We, you know, it, we all know that all you have to do is check that box. Right. And, and you're in, you can say you could be 12, 13, 14 years old now, and you can still check the box and you're in the door. Um, I know that there are some things that are starting to crack down within that arena, but the amount of what's out there and available to the world, especially with Pornhub and uh, I think YouPorn and Triple um, X uh, videos and all online. You know, I do some research, and it's um, it's amazing. It, it is out. It, it not just amazing. It's astounding the availability and what is out there and available within the sex and porn industry at, at, at just a click of a, a button. It's just, it's crazy. What yeah. do you think? What are your feelings on that? You think it's a negative that it needs to be controlled more? Uh, first of all, let me say this. It's humongous. Of course, the way it grew is just, I mean, yeah, you, you said it right. It's astounding. And the availability is what makes it so difficult to actually avoid developing this addiction for younger younger adults now and like young teenagers because it, it literally is within a click of a button. I, as a coach, I basically like the basic idea for me is not to be against it. I don't like it for sure. But I don't believe that actually like introducing restrictions might help because actually introducing restrictions might even increase the desire, the urge in people to get it. So sort of like the forbidden forbidden fruit. When you're right? told as a kid, don't don't sneak the alcohol out of the cabinet, don't sneak a beer, then it it, it theoretically entices people to kind of say I'm going to get that as soon as my parents leave. Right, right. So as soon as we don't come up with the technology that can actually prevent, let's say, young adults up to 21 years from watching porn, like really, really preventing it, maybe maybe that would be a good idea. But for, for now, since we don't have such a technology, this if we introduce something like really serious restrictions, they will probably hit the other group. People are above the age of 21 years. And this is not fair because they they have their right to watch their porn. So I, I would say that I am I'm a, I'm not for restrictions. I would rather create tools that help people see that this is like this might be a problem and you don't want to get into this. When did you first recognize you had a problem? Mm, I started to think, yeah, when I had, when I had a girlfriend, we actually started, she moved in, we lived together and, you know, she was sleeping in the next room and I was sitting in my room and basically masturbating to porn images that, that made absolutely no sense, but I felt that I wasn't in control of myself. And that felt horrible. That felt horrible. And that, that's when I realized that, yeah, I need, I need to stop this. I do need. Is there a, um, were there solutions for helping you through that at that time? 
they probably were. But of course, I never reached out to anyone and I, I didn't actually look it up online or whatnot. I just, I just went through it and at, at some point I sort of subsided when maybe it was, it was the worst when I actually had my lows in my relationship with my girlfriend. So when it improved, let's say when we got married, it improved and improved until the next time when I actually, I was depressed. And that's when I started using it as a real escape tool. So you you're, you married your girlfriend then. So your girlfriend right. became your wife. Yes. Was she aware of your addiction? No, absolutely not. I mean, so, I mean, if she, if she knew about that, she, she might have, you know, broke up with me. So basically this um, affected your, your, not only your relationship with your girlfriend, but eventually the relationship with your wife. Yeah, with my wife and with myself, exactly. Yeah. Do you think it creates an environment for um, a disassociation or kind of a uh, an innate uh, not a non-ability to understand what a relationship is and just look at it from a, a sexual perspective, maybe? Yes, exactly. All sorts of problems. First of all, you, you said it correctly. What happens is that you start to see your wife or your girlfriend as just a, a purely a sex object and then you start seeing all these imperfections in her because what when you watch porn all you see is perfection like perfect lingerie perfect bodies perfect makeup and so you get used to all this perfection then you go into your bedroom and you see a real person lying in in the bed and it's it's difficult starts to get difficult to get aroused by that person. And then with porn, you have an access to a huge variety of different stuff, like hardcore, group sex, and whatever. So you, you have a lot of intensity there and a lot of variety. And you don't get that variety in your bedroom unless you're very intentional about it. So that's another way it actually destroys your relationship. And the fourth one is women hate when their men do this they absolutely hate it and oftentimes a woman might just break up with a man when she finds out about that or when she finds out her heart breaks so when they when you say hate just so we have a, an understanding hate the objectivity portion of it I'm, I'm sure that obviously objectivity nobody likes being the object from that perspective do they hate the situation do you think do you think Help us understand if somebody is experiencing what you experienced and what you went through, what can they do to approach their partner and say, look, I have a problem? Hmm. Or you I know have what? an issue. I would not do this with your partner because it, your partner is not really you know, doesn't really have the tools to help you. And it will only break his or her heart oftentimes. So I would definitely think about about something like that twice before you do it. I would rather reach out to, if you want to reach out to a person, I would prefer that person to be a professional. That, that brings it, you just hit a point. You said his or her. So do you think an addiction to porn is just specific to male? Or can a female also be addicted to porn? Of course, 
female females do get addicted to porn, but the proportion is is such that men do that way way more more often because they're predisposed to this. They they like the images, the, the image component that they can they well they actually can feel a lot of basically the same pleasure from masturbating or even more pleasure from masturbation than sex because women actually prefer the emotional intimacy that comes with the process so they like it and they like this in masturbation so that's why they develop this addiction less rarely i mean less frequently and from that perspective do you think that the masturbation portion of it for example you had said something earlier that obviously masturbation isn't necessarily always a self-deprivation type situation. It's not something that is um, is used in a negative way in all instances. So, you know, our audience should understand that masturbation is a normal part of society. It's a normal part of um, a person's um, a person's growing up. It's a normal part of a person's lifestyle activity. It's a normal relationship activity, you know, at times, correct? Yes, that is right. I would say there are three groups of people who masturbate. The first one is people who are, and it's the biggest one, of course, like they are recreational users of porn and masturbation. So they sometimes, maybe once a week, maybe once in two weeks, they feel this urge coming up and they masturbate and then they just forget about it. They, they don't really care. They don't see this as a problem. And it's pretty healthy. The second group is people who masturbate and they feel self-disgust, usually for religious reasons, because their religion actually tells them not to masturbate, like Judaism. And the third group is the, the real addicts. These are people who are compulsive users, and so they, they, they see this as an addiction, but they just can't resist it. And they feel that it's taking, it's taking time and energy from their life, really. That brings me to another perspective. Um, do you think that religion, and obviously I'm not putting any stipulations on religion, and again, it's an open and honest conversation, so... Do you feel that religion plays an important factor in in somebody's addiction or becoming addicted to porn or masturbation? Mm. From a negative connotation. You know, in my practice, I haven't seen clients who actually developed an addiction because of religion. No, it actually works, it works the other way around when a person comes to me because they Let's say they're a Christian and they, they, they want to stop masturbation because they see this as a sin. And actually, what happens is that religion helps them to break through it. So in combination with my help, with my tools and religion, we're able to break that habit. That's, that's an interesting approach. So what steps do you think that we need to take if somebody somebody feels that they're falling into an addiction or um, something that's a, a, from a negative perspective, not a healthy perspective, um, what kind of steps do you think that we, we should take in order to kind of recognize it and then move forward into helping to overcome it or manage it? Yes. I would say that the, the first step is to become really aware 
become conscious of this problem. And the best way to do it is just to journal. After each episode, you sit down and you write it, write about it in your journal. And you say why you got triggered and how you feel now. And that alone can actually cure you because if you every time after each masturbation episode, you write down that I feel, I feel horrible now. I feel horrible afterwards. And maybe someday you write, you know, those five minutes of pleasure, they were not worth it. That's the first step. And the second step is to create a replacement habit because you don't want to stop a habit by completely stopping it cold turkey. It's very difficult because your mind will crave it even more. So what you do is you give your mind a replacement habit. <sighs> Let's say, like my favorite example is watching a TV show. Let's say you have a, a TV show that you like. So every time you have an urge, you watch 10 minutes of that show. And of course, you don't watch it at any, at any other time. So like if I like Legends of Tomorrow, so I would watch Legends of Tomorrow for 10 minutes and then stop watching it after 10 minutes. If I had that urge, and that should help me to start managing or overcoming the negativity of the other urge. Exactly, yes. Correct. That works. If somebody if somebody tries that and that does not work, what do you think they should do? Oh, these are just two, two first steps. Then usually with my system, we go into associating pleasure with that, with, you know, resisting the urge. And let's say when you, when you watch a TV show that you like, you actually have pleasure right there. So that's good. But you can also add pleasure on top of that. Let's say one of my clients, he rewards himself for a clean week by buying clothes on Sunday. So by associating pleasure with not jerking off, you actually tell your mind to think how good it is. And then the opposite is to associate pain with masturbation. So after each masturbation episode, you want to do something that punishes you for that and has pain attached to it. Let's say you hate washing floors. So you masturbate, you get up immediately and you wash the floors. And next time your mind will crave masturbation less because he doesn't, he doesn't want the pain. That's an interesting approach, actually. So, in your coaching, in your coaching practice, I know that you uh, you're a relationship coach, and you were trained by the Tony Robbins program. Did that help you to understand in in dealing with this type of an addiction, or does does that help with all kinds of addictions? I think the general the general tools that that training taught me they are applicable to any addiction, including. Let's say I have a client who is who is losing weight with my help. So yeah, the tools are in both these addictions, they are pretty much the same. The basic tools. The specifics are different, of course. Of course. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, some of the other addictions that I had mentioned earlier, I guess, would be shopping and um shoes and uh eating or anorexia or bulimia on the other side, because people have an addiction to being thin and how thin can they get and so forth. So I guess that applies to all of, all of those. In our lives, 
so many things we can unfortunately become addicted to. What do you, why do you think that an individual becomes addicted to, to porn or to, to anything actually? Yeah, one reason is just like we mentioned, it's having this negativity in their life that they, and they like depression or anxiety, and they see the only way out for them is to actually have something on top of it not deal with the core issue let's say i'm depressed because i am i don't like i i'm broke they don't go to the root issue and they don't fix being broke but instead they cover it up with with an addiction because it's so much easier it's it's way more pleasant in dealing with the um the porn and masturbation uh obviously do you do you think there's a um an environment for selling sex Oh yeah, it is. Some of my clients they are naturally they're not attracted to porn, but they like their their flavor is massage parlors or just fantasies, something like this. It, it doesn't have to be porn specifically. But in your in your particular case, you, well, back to uh, back to the porn and the masturbation addiction portion of it. So obviously, it is apparent. And it's in our face all the time. It's always available. It's always there. Everything is, is the availability is like there. So it's the only way I can put it. Do you have any tips or tricks that people can maybe practice or understand before? Obviously, this is a step program. It's like any, any addiction program. There's the steps that you have to take in order to get up to professional help or get help from somebody in order to help themselves in the beginning what kind of steps do you think they should take in order to, because you can't avoid picking up your phone. You can't avoid picking up your iPad. You know, you you don't have to subscribe to the channels on TV that are available on there. So do you have any tips or tricks? You know, my favorite tip is to, first of all, change your beliefs. Let's say you have a belief that I get so much pleasure from porn. You need to create a counter belief something like if i have to hide something it cannot be good for me and then what you do you start programming your mind by affirming this new belief to yourself whenever a thought about porn comes into your mind you override it immediately you say to yourself okay something that i have to hide cannot be healthy for me something that i can i need to hide cannot be healthy for me and I, I'm a big believer in this sort of programming. I've seen it work for me, for my clients. So I think this, this is one of the key steps when you want to start changing yourself in this sense and to rewire your brain not to crave porn, whether it comes from, you know, in form of fantasies or in, in the form of something that catches up, catches your eye on your laptop. That's actually a brilliant analogy. Very good advice. I think that can could be associated to uh, not just porn to any addiction really so i have to hide it people hide alcohol they hide their drugs they hide they hide their shopping addictions so that's a very good approach yeah i know because it works like it's the foundation yeah, if you have to hide it then you need to you need to overcome it i guess it's the first step is recognizing it and recognizing it from that perspective not just oh well you know it's something if i have to hide it then and it's an issue that I need to address from a more positive approach. Exactly, exactly. And what you're saying is, yeah, this is awareness. 
Awareness is like the journaling that we talked about a couple of minutes ago makes you aware and that awareness alone is curative oftentimes. So when did you when did you finally decide to get more professional help for yourself? I never did. No. You did not did you, but you've overcome it and you've, yeah, you've I managed did. overcome it, managed it. I guess it helps. When did you decide to become a coach? What's wow. your motivation? My motivation was actually one one of the motivations was the fact that I moved from Russia to Canada. So I wanted to switch careers. That was one thing. The second thing is that I gathered, I got a, a lot of information and knowledge and practical experience in those seven years after my marriage, because I, I went out, I went back into the dating world and put myself on the line to, to learn all the skills. So I had this information and I also been a fan of self-development and the fan of self-help and self-improvement. And I knew that these tools work, so I combined all these three things together, and that's how I became a coach. You've gone through the Tony Robbins program. Yes. Can you help us understand what the significance of going through a Tony Robbins program is? You know, I took the program because I've been I've been a big fan of Tony since 2010, and that that was the time when I was addicted to masturbation the most. And his tools helped me, and I mentioned some of them today. And another thing that helped me was like Tony teaches, you got to have a mental diet. You have to keep bombarding your brain with positive information. And that's another great way to reprogram it. I did this, it worked. And the program that I took, going back to your question, the significance of it is that it teaches these tools in a very meticulous way so that you can actually understand them very well and then apply it with your client. That's interesting because, you know, there are a lot of coaches out there and you know, and you can. There's a lot of other coaches that you can get a certificate very quickly and easily. By getting one from the Tony Robbins program is significant, in my opinion. I think that it's a, it gives you a more broader perspective of how to use use those tools and how to express those tools and help people to move their lives in a, forward in a very inspirational, motivational. Exactly. Yeah, that's perspective. Tony has such beautiful high vibration energy about him and his program teaches new coaches to have that energy about them as well. And I think this is a huge component because we, we don't want just to give tools to our coaches, but we also want to inspire them and motivate them. Exactly. Exactly. So how long have you been a coach? I've been, I've been working with with clients since April last year. So it's well, one year soon. You connect with clients both, um, obviously in Canada, but you also connect with them over the internet to, from anywhere in the world they can connect to you. Absolutely. Just r right now, I, I have clients from Israel, the United States, Russia, and so on. You know, that's another question that kind of, kind of sidetracked, but I, I should have thought about this earlier, but um, do you think that the addiction to porn is just based in one particular area or is it worldwide oh i think it's worldwide let's say let's take india in india this is a sort of a religious problem because they are not supposed to to masturbate and watch porn for religious reasons but there are so many people who are struggling with this so yeah it's a global problem absolutely we're all we're all human species and the sex drive is so strong in us that it propels us into into this domain which is unhealthy. Do you think watching porn or implementing porn within your, your daily activities 
constitutes or creates an environment for unhealthy relationships. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we mentioned some of these things, like objectifying your objectifying your partner, being looking at them as an imperfect. And then it's easy actually with, with men, testosterone is so important for them. It defines their sex drive. So when when a guy, let's say, watches porn and masturbates once a day, he loses testosterone, his levels are very low all the time. And he's just not attracted to women and he doesn't have the drive to actually get out there and to seek a relationship. And moreover, when he when he actually approaches, let's say, a woman, she will feel that low testosterone immediately. And she won't be attracted to him. Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. So women can actually feel the testosterone? Well, it's not, they... it's not like they feel it directly. They're, they're not this, you know, an analyzer equipment, medical analyzer equipment. Right. But they feel the energy. Because energy. You, you have low energy. Remember, after you ejaculate, your body secretes this hormone called prolactin. And that prolactin, it actually reduces the amount of testosterone. So like, that's why you fall asleep right after ejaculation. You have low energy. And when you go to approach a woman with that kind of low energy, she, she's just, she won't respond. You can just feel it. Well, we all, we all are made up of energy. We all possess energy. That's just a portion of that energy. That makes a lot of sense, actually. So are you ever fearful of like stepping back into that lifestyle? Is it a constant thing that you have to manage? No, not at this point. I, I don't so, think so. So, it is, so it is something that you can overcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it was, it, it's, it's been probably a little bit easier than for some people because I am so much into discipline and I hated myself too much to just continue doing that. That makes sense. I had, you know, I had to, I had to ask that because the, with the alcohol or with drugs, you know, they can always be tempted and, um, you know, the, you have to be aware all the time, whether or not you're going to slip back into the, you know, to wanting a drink or getting a drink or taking the drug again, or, you know, kind of spiraling down back into that, that hole basically. So, at least it's something that somebody has a light at the end of the tunnel and they can look forward to uh, kind of reaching that light. What yeah, do you, uh, I'm sorry, what, what do you, if somebody is, and we may have gone over this earlier, but just want to reemphasize it. If any of our listeners are experiencing that, realizing or make, and now that we've had this discussion, are now aware that they have this um, issue that they need to manage, what do you think is, are the first steps they need to take to kind of overcome it or manage it? Well, yeah, if you tried other steps that we mentioned before, the next step for you is to reach out for help. Definitely reach out for, for a professional who will, among other things, find tools that actually work for you. They will hold you accountable. This is a very key component of this, of this program. The recovery program and the very fact that you will pay money to them will actually motivate you to to get roi M money yes money definitely motivates <laughs> so uh you've written a book no 
You have not written a book. No. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is called Be Version 2.0 of Yourself. And so far, I've been focusing more on relationships. And my my future goal is to focus more on important masturbation. This works. How can they find it? Yeah. The best way is to go to my website, which is romanmiranov.com, spelled as R-O-M-A-N-M-I-R-O-N-O-V.com. Hit the contact tab. Keep me up for a no-fee clarity session and mention that you actually coming from Michael's show, and I'll be happy to give you a 30% discount. Plus, over there, you have all my social media links and my podcast links and my blog and whatnot. Outstanding. I'll have that in our show notes so that everybody can have an easy access to just clicking on it. And this is one more thing before you go. So anything you want to say, words of wisdom before we close? Yeah, definitely. Remember uh, about the fourth minute mile. For a long time, people thought that it was impossible to run a uh, a four-minute mile, run a mile under four minutes. And that that record, that that wall stood for many, many years. And then finally, one person, I think, I don't remember the exact name, but it was like Barrister or Bannister, probably Bannister. He was able to actually break that thing. And almost immediately, 10 other people were able to do this. So what this example shows you is that all these barriers are in our head and humans are capable of anything, really anything. So I do believe that there is a hero in each of your listeners and they are able to access that hero. So I, w- I, want, you, I want you to do that if you're if you have any sort of addiction, including to court masturbation, access that ability and become the hero you're designed to be. Outstanding. Roman, thank you very much for this honest and open conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Your questions were so insightful. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.